So we never do this, but I think we're going to do this tonight, just quickly by a show of hands, who struggled with this sin this week, who struggled with eating food offered to idols. Anybody? You, you ate something that a, a tour doctor prayed about a chicken or something. Like, it's not really something we struggle with these days, is it? Food offered to idols. It's not big on our radar. Not, it's not kind of one of the big five. Kind of gets lost in translation. And yet, in the passage we're looking at tonight, Paul spends a whole chapter on this theme, food offered to idols. And uh, if, you, if we watch the video, uh, you'll see Martinette in her absence, fingering a piece of roast beef. Kind of mimicked the food offered to idols. Thank you, bunkies. I can't look at roast beef the same anymore. But when I looked at this chapter and I read this chapter, I felt there's, a, there's something about looking back in our lives, looking back at where we've come from. There's something powerful. Sometimes we're just having a look at who we were and who we are now, where we were and where we are now. I remember when my wife and I got married, uh, our first December we went to Mombela. And when we were there, I asked her if we could go found the house that I stayed in, that we lived in when I was five years old. The house that, from that house I went, was the first school that I went to. Could we go find it? She said yes, and we took a couple of wrong turns, but ended up finding the house. It was such a great experience to see that house had become this house. Because for a five-year-old, that was massive. To look across the street and remember the, the, the kid that I played with that lived there. To see that the... Uh, <clears throat> the gardens had become established and this small community had become this massive community. Great experience. A year later, we went to a wedding in Paris. And on the way back, I asked, could we go and look for the farm that my granddad had? We'd, I'd, I'd spend like a week, every school holidays on that farm working. And so we found the farm. And when we went to the farm as kids, They'd get to this house, and if you went around the house, there'd be peach trees, there'd be apricot trees, there'd be this big orchard, there'd be a beehive at the back. There were three or four chicken coops, there were dogs all down the side, uh, tied for safety, there was a pig pen, a pig star, there was a cow shed, there was implements, there was, there was half a hectare of garden that my grandma used to grow vegetables in. There was 20 hectares of maize, and we worked all of it. I think at the age of six or seven, for the first time, I had to stick my hand underneath a chicken to feel if there were any eggs. That's weird. If you're not used to it, that's weird. When we got there that day, and there were no peach trees, there were no apricot trees, no beehive, no pigsty, no cow pen, no vegetable garden, no chicken coops, the house had no roof, no windows, no doors. And just standing there, my, my wife voiced it first. There's a sadness on this property. And I agreed. And looking back that first time, great experience. Looking back that second time, sad. But that's life. And I imagine as I, as I read this passage, that's kind of where the story starts. He's standing on the docks and he's, to his left, there's a bunch of ships, and to his right, there's a bunch of shifts, and, and it's busy. The guys are loading and they're unloading. Things are happening. It's frantic. 
And as it looks past them at the breakers, there's a bunch of more ships anchoring, waiting to come in because they've got to load and unload. They've got to get going. And he walks off, he walks up to the left, up the hill. And as he walks up the hill, all the sights and the sounds, the smells are very familiar. And also very, very weird. And he's reflecting, he's thinking back. A couple of weeks ago, someone at work, a colleague, a friend of a friend, had asked him, why don't you come with tonight? There's a guy speaking, and he was curious. See, the story had been circulating for 25 years, and he wanted to know what, what this was about. And there was a guy that had walked that road. See, rumor had it, that guy walked on water. Rumor had it, that guy could turn water to wine. Rumor had it, that guy took a kid's lunchbox and he fed 5,000 people. Rumor had it, this guy could spit in your eye if you were blind and you'd be healed. And he couldn't just heal physical, he could heal emotional and spiritually as well. Rumor had it, when they eventually killed this guy, he walked out of the tomb. And he was curious. And that first night he came there and, and, and this guy told stories, this guy walked with that guy. He told the stories and, and something in him responded. There was something in him that had been looking for this his whole life. See, where he grew up in Corinth, it wasn't about if you were religious. It was what religion are you? There was a God for everything. There was a God for the mountains, a God for the crops. There was a God for fertility and a God for the ocean. There was a God for the rocks and the, and the trees and the plants and the streams and the rivers and the lakes. There were gods for everything. Everybody had their God. Everybody had their religion. And as he grew up, so did he. And he's standing on the side of the road and he's looking across and he sees on his left side there's a temple to Aphrodite and there's a couple of guys going in there offering their, literally offering their bodies as a sacrifice to the God of Aphrodite, going to, to have sex with the temple prostitutes so they could have good crops. And to the right, there's a temple to Poseidon and there's a couple of guys stepping off the boats going in there first thing to say thank you that they arrived safely on land. And nestled in between is a restaurant. And he's thinking, how did I spend so much of my life buying before this marble statue? How did I give so much of myself to this? See, every day people would bring sacrifices. They'd bring animals. Sometimes they'd only lop off a piece of hair, burn that, and then they'd kill the animal. Sometimes they'd burn a piece of the animal. But whatever was left got divided up. The person that brought the sacrifice, he got a piece. The rest would go to the, to the temple priest. And if it was a busy day, there'd be a lot of meat. So what do you do when you have a lot of meat? You open up a restaurant. You sell it at the butchers. You make some money for the temple. And so he's looking at these guys in the restaurant, knowing that the meat that they, that they are eating at this very moment was offered to an idol. Said, in Corinth, most of your meat would have either been sacrificed or at least prayed over by some priest because they believed that's how you got evil spirits in you. They would come rest on the animals and when you ate something that had a demon, like a thing on it, that's how you got it. So all the meat was prayed over or sacrificed. What do you do as a Christian? You become a vegetarian? Most of the guys in South Africa will not sign up for that. No. And he's standing and he's watching. And as he, as he looks across, he sees him. It's the God worked that invited him that first day. And he's appalled. 
He thought this guy was a Christian. How's he sitting in this temple eating this food that was offered to an idol? He's upset. But he's vowed never to step in there again and he can't cross the street. So what does he do? He waits for connect group. He waits for Tuesday night. And when they ask, how was your week? He's like, hmm, you won? Man, I, I was there on Friday and I, I saw someone look just like you. And he was like, yeah, it's great food. Steak. The guy's like, are you kidding me? That was offered to a false god. He's like, it's a cheap meal. It's great value for money. And you have a problem in the first church. You have a problem in the first church. So I thought, man, was it just then? And I realized it wasn't just then. Growing up, I grew up as a Southern Baptist. My mom's fault. I'll blame her. But we were moderate, went to legalistic, went to liberal, kind of down the middle. But the church was like 30 minutes away, so a lot of times I just got invited to my friends' churches. And some of it were weird. A bunch of churches in the north where I grew up. One church, couldn't go there with jeans, no jeans. You went to church, chinos. If you're not wearing a suit, no jeans. One of the churches, you could play guitar on the stage, but no drums. Mo, sorry, no drums. God loves a guitar, God hates drums. No drums. Another church, no dancing. Because you know what that leads to. They never told the kid what the kids what they were, but kind of we realize what that was now. The one church I got spoken to for 10 minutes afterwards because I didn't stand at the right times as a man. The times in the church you've got to stand and you said you stand, I don't know, still don't know. Another time I got spoken to by a friend's parents because I washed our cars on a Sunday afternoon. I'm like, man, I was in the church and, and at the age of 15 I was looking at all this. I'm like, what is this about? Because I'd get invited to a sleepover on a Friday. Friends, parents were having some people over, they didn't have kids. So what did they do? Go, oh, you get a mate over. And I'd be over there and, and we'd be playing and they'd be brying and then I'd watch these parents finish a case of beer, each. And then I'd go visit the church and, and that dad would walk into the church and go sit in the front because he's an elder. And at the age of 15, I was like, no ways. I walked away from church. It's like, what's this about? Can't be, not interested. Because those are all issues. That drunkenness is not an issue. My school had its own resistance movement. So don't speak about racism. No. Speak about genes. Because that's important. And then I realized we've got the same thing happening today. We're still divided today. We can start with the easy ones, smoking, drinking. What do we say about tattoos? What about piercings? What about holidays, Halloween? What about Christmas? I have someone, good friend, that will not come into my home in December because I have a tree. I don't laugh. 
to them it's very real. Because that has a connotation back to a religion that is not of God. And that divides us. And this is where Paul, Paul gets into in this in the scripture. 1 Corinthians 8. We get into 1 Corinthians 8. We're on a page there, you're welcome. No slides today, just the word of God. That's important. When you start reading 1 Corinthians 8, to realize that Corinthians, the first letter is broken into two halves. The first half, he'd heard some stuff happening in the church and he'd, he'd, he'd spoken against that. And then the second half, he starts in chapter 7 and says, now the things he wrote about. So now he's going to answer some of the questions. And this is one of the questions. Can we eat food offered to idols? And he answers. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Before he even addresses the, the issue, he says, here's what you've got to know. It's not about what you know. It's not about what you know. Do you love God? And if you've answered that one, the second thing is, are you known by God? That's a play on, on Hebrew language. What he's asking there is, do you love God? And does God have a relationship with you? And then he'll start, therefore. And then he answers. So what he's saying is, do you love God? Do you have a relationship with God? Because if you do, then this is a non-issue. If you do, you'll know the answer. If you do, you don't even have to ask this question. But he says, therefore. So what is the answer? Therefore, as the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, and yet there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother of whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers... And wounding the conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, food makes your brother stumble. My brother stumble. I will not eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So what's he saying? He's saying this. Everybody has knowledge. Everybody knows some stuff. Isn't it good? But what you shouldn't think is because I have certain knowledge that I'm a better Christian. You shouldn't come to the fact that you think now I'm superior to the other Christians that don't have this knowledge yet. They haven't arrived. I'm the man. There's no, that puffs up. And as soon as it happens, you're sitting against God. It's not about that. You're going to be sanctified and at some point you're going to realize things about your Christianity you didn't know yesterday. 
You'll go, I was this year old when I learned that from God. And that's okay. It's called sanctification. Every day we walk, every day we grow. We become more mature. We learn more things. We become more like Jesus. That's the whole point of Christianity. He says, but don't let that puff you up. Because that's what it's about. Love God. Love people. He says, you've got freedom. You've got liberty. There are the two guidelines. There's the borders. Love God, love people. He's effectively giving, again, the great command. Love your God with everything that you have. And then, love people as yourself. Love God, love people. Those are two things. He makes it easy. So as he says, so you might have learned that there's one God. So all these other things, they're false, they don't exist. Don't even worry about that. You're the stronger brother. But he says, the other guys, they don't know that yet. Man, they're battling with their past. There's things that are still hitting them. They're trying to get pulled back into this thing. The devil's not letting them go. They've walked into freedom, but they're still fighting that good fight. He says, don't let your action chip that guy up. Don't let your knowledge get that guy to stumble and fall. It's not about that. He says, the one thing you should be raving about is your knowledge of God. And I love how Jeremiah says it, Jeremiah 9, verse 23. God speaks and he says, thus says the Lord. And if a prophet says that, you should probably listen. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let me ask you this. What do you have to boast in? What talents has God given you? Because right here is saying don't boast in that. That's what about. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, says the Lord. It's not about what you drive. It's not about where you live. It's not about the zeros connected to your paycheck. It's not about your beauty or the assets that you have. Those will change. True. It's not about the PhD or the certificates you've got on your wall. It's not even about the doctrine you believe. It's about do you delight in God? Do you love Him? And when you boast, you boast in His loving kindness, His mercy, and His righteousness. That's what it's about. It says the rest doesn't matter. We have liberty. But what do we do with that liberty? What do we do with that liberty? Let's take a drink. Let's take a beer. What do you do with that liberty? Well, there are gray areas in the Bible, and most of these things are gray areas. The Bible doesn't say don't drink. The Bible says you should drink. You choose to drink, you choose not to drink, both are good. What is the Bible clear about? Don't get drunk. Yeah, but I only get tipsy. Get drunk. Don't, do, don't, don't play on words. The Bible calls that drunk. And you've gone there, you've sinned against God. You need to repent, you need to get back. You need to change your life. Don't do that again. Walk away. Become the stronger brother. Get that formation. Get that in your very soul. Say no. What do we do? No, but I've got liberty. I can watch what I want. No, you can't. You go to the movies, you watch that series on TV, and you see girls without, without shirts on. Yeah, you can't. 
Bible's clear on that. You're going after lust. Bible says no. You've missed God. Get back. So we have liberty, but the liberty is connected to two things. Love God, love people. See, if the Bible's clear on it, God has given us commandments. He has given us clear rules. He has given us stuff that are black and white. You should and you should not. Very clear. And he calls us into his lordship to obey the clear and the unclear. He's given us the commands. Now, we shouldn't be tied by those commands. Paul also writes in Galatians, he says, you foolish Galatians. You started with liberty. You started with Jesus on the cross. And now you're getting tied up with laws. He says, why are you doing that? You bunch of Jews, you got saved. You got set free from all of this. And you got Jesus. You got everything you needed. You fulfilled the laws. You fulfilled the prophets. And then you went back and you started to, to re, reattach circumcision, reattach the Sabbath, reattach all the, all the festivals. There's no, 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 no. That's not what it's about. You have liberty. Exercise the liberty. You've been set free. But do that in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when something is not black and white, if something is not clear, if it's not laid down in the Bible, if it's gray, well, then the second thing that you have to filter that through is, does it, is it going to build up the person next to you? Is it going to cause your brother to fall? Is it going to build him up? Is it going to get him through his sanctification process? Is it going to help him give that step that he needs to give to become more ingrained in the Lordship of Jesus, to get more into the victory that God has for his life, more of the call that God has into life? Or are you going to help him fall? See, if, if that's the decision, then you make the decision to stay away. The decision is no. The, the answer is clear. What loving your brother. So that was it about. So we get to this passage, and there's, there's kind of four, four different types of people here. And I've got to give credit um, <clears throat> to Larry Osborne. He's the leader of North Coast Church. He kind of gave it four topics. So the first thing is he's speaking about the, the stronger brother. I want you to notice here, it's not the better Christian. He just calls him a stronger brother. Because this guy's conscience in some areas have become more solidified. He's a bit strong in some other areas. He's not hypersensitive. He's not legalistic. He knows what the truth is. He stands on the truth. He can back his play from the word of God. He's not going against God. He's made his choice. He runs with it. How do you cheat that guy? Having played with his liberty. Be free with him. If you're not the weaker brother in this case, enjoy your freedom. The second one is you get the truly weaker brother. The guy that's still struggling. Man, he's that guy standing when we start on this side of the road and he's looking across the street and he's seeing, seeing Johan have that stake. And he's going, man, how can that? His conscious is still tied up with that previous sin. How do we handle that guy? You forgo your liberty. You say no with him or her. Forgot your liberty. Then there's another guy kind of in between his pages, and if you've been in leadership for a while, uh, people will talk about, you'll make a decision, they'll be like, oh, I can't do that because those people will be upset. You can't do that because they'll be unhappy. Who are those people and who are they? We have a great leadership. Marinus is a good leader. We have great elders. If there's a problem, go to them. Those people, if you're part of those people, go speak to them. But those phantom people, they don't exist. They're ghosts. There's only place for one ghost. That's the Holy Ghost. 
Okay, so how do you handle these guys? You ignore them because they don't exist. And if that's you, you're a ghost, don't be a ghost. You speak to the elders. But then there's a fourth type of person. And this fourth type of person just, my wife continues to tell me, just, just have a bit more love, a bit more grace. Because this is a professional weaker brother. Man, even Jesus and Paul didn't have time for these guys. Paul comes out and, and Peter's there and Peter's hanging with the Gentiles. He's having a great time. They're eating together, they're talking, they're discussing theology, real life topics. And then the Jews show up. And Peter walks away and he purifies himself and he's sitting on this side with the Jews. He wants nothing to do with the Gentiles. And Paul rocks up and says, what's this? This is wrong. You're a hypocrite. Just don't do that. Don't draw a line in the sand and say, this, it's got to be this. Come on, Peter. This is not the gospel. Calls him out in public. He says, no. Don't be the professional weaker brother. Make a decision. It's okay to eat. It's okay not to eat. If you want to have bacon, have bacon. If you don't want to have bacon, don't have bacon. But don't judge one person or the other because they're having or not having bacon. When I read the Gospels, I see Jesus kind of in the same thing. 15 chapters in Matthew, he's allowing these people to speak into his ministry. Man, they, they come to him and say, listen, we've seen you and your disciples, and you're not washing your hands correctly. Yeah, God's unhappy because you didn't wash your hands correctly. Says we, we saw you on that Sabbath walk amongst the grain and you picked some grain and you were you're rubbing the chaff off on your hands. Now God's upset. It's just last Sunday we saw you heal a guy on the Sabbath. That's work. You're a sinner. And by chapter 15, Jesus has had enough of these guys. And he addresses them in public and he says, You're whitewashed gravestones. He says, You're so about. The outside, being holy on the outside. You stand on the corners and you give lots of money. You stand in the corners and pray out loud. And it's all about what you do and how you shine. And, and he says, it's not about that. It's not what you take into your body. It's not what it's on the outside. There's no pure and unpure. It's what comes out. Does what come out glorify God? He says, you've missed it. You've taken the Ten Commandments of God and you've packed more stuff onto there. And it's now 856 laws. And you say, this is about God, but when God stands in front of you, you can't even see him. Not about what's on the outside. What's on the inside? And for that professional, weaker brother, man, I'll, I'll sacrifice them to another church any day of the week. If we can keep those that are struggling with your life issues, because you know what that guy does or that woman, that professional weaker brother? They break unity. They make it uncomfortable for those that are really struggling just to find God. And we've had people leave. And it's okay. We'll never manipulate people to stay. We don't control people. But we're going to put two things up. Love God, love people. Can you sacrifice your liberty to love God and love people? Can you sit here and then think, man, could they just preach something a little deeper? No. Because there are people here that have only known God for a week or two and they need the milk. You want meat? Get into your quiet time. Study your Bible. If you've got questions, come ask us. We'll walk with you. 
Can you sacrifice the liberty for the truly wicked brother? Can you give up some stuff? That's who we are as a community. We're a hospital. We're going to love people. We've had three groupings of people that have left the last three months because they came in because their call on their life is to come to our church and tell us how to run our church. Man, I promise you, I've read this Bible more than once. Nowhere in this word have I found any ministry like that. Professional, weaker brothers that are legalistic, that don't understand authority, they're not loving God, and not loving people. And if they go, we'll say amen. If someone goes, that is struggling because we've missed it. We'll repent from the stage. We're imperfect as a leadership. We are. But we trust God to work in us and through us. All we can do, we can love God and love people. We can love you guys. And that's our aim. And so Peter comes in chapter nine and he says, hey guys, after having said all this, Here's my liberty. Here's my freedom. Here's what, what I do. Here's the model. He says, he starts on saying, am I not free? Am I not, can I not uh, demand all these things? Can, can I have a wife? Or is it just me and, 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 and Barnabas that, that aren't allowed to have wives? Shouldn't I get, get my income from preaching the gospel? Shouldn't you guys be paying for everything that I need? And he goes on like this, and he says, but, but I haven't made any of that an issue because I don't want any obstacles for the gospel. So I'll serve. I'll give up my personal rights, my personal freedoms. I'll let it go. Why? For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 19, he writes the following. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, but not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I become one as outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Why? I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them its many blessings. So Peter says, I've given up every right that I have. Because it's not about me. Something bigger than me. There's a God. It's not about how much I can be blessed. It's about the blessing I can be. It's not what I can gain, but about who I can gain for eternity. It's not about me, it's about God. And it's about the people of God. It's not about me and my ministry. It's about God and his creation and his salvation that was given for the whole of creation. It's about the people in the world that I was walking into the temple and offering their very bodies to a prostitute. God's blessings. It's for them. And so I'll become all things to all people. 
When I'm with the Jews, I'll shave my head. I'll get purified. I'll go into the temple. I'll bring a sacrifice to the great I am. I will. When I'm with the Gentiles, I'm going to eat that bacon. I'm going to enjoy that meal because there's nothing in there. I'll become all things to all people. And why can he do that? Because the very God that he says it's about, the gospel paints that picture. The gospel itself says, love God, love people. Because Jesus loved the Father so much, he died for creation. He gave up his liberty, his freedom to come onto this earth and become a very created being. Gave up his liberty because he loved God and loved people. And then he went to the cross and gave up his freedom, his very life, because he loved the Father and he loved the creation. He loved you and he loved me, loved people. And so Paul looks at the gospel about the very God, loving God, loving people, giving up his very liberties, and he says, I'll do the same. I'm not better than my God. I'm not greater than the gospel. It's not about what I can gain, it's about who I can gain. And God is calling on us this very night. He says, it's not about food offered to idols. It's not about the beer that you want to have. It's not about the cigarette you want to smoke. It's not about your piercing, your tattoo. It's about the Christmas tree. It's not. It's the fact that you have freedom. You have liberty. But how you exercise that liberty has to show your love for the Trinity. Your love for God has to glorify the gospel. And if we do that, the world would look at us and see something different. The world would look at us and see something worth having. The world would look at us as that guy in the story and they'd be curious. They'd want to know more. What made you make that decision? Why are you different? I see blessing in your life. I see your marriage working out. I see you have a great relationship, but you're not having sex? Man, that's crazy. How do you do that? Man, let me tell you about what the Word of God it says the wage of sin is death. You know why my, my relationship is so fantastic? There's no death there. Because we're keeping it pure from marriage. That's why we have a great relationship. People will be curious. And we get to share the gospel with people that are actually hungry. Instead of fighting religion and trying to get people to the cross. When our lives lift up Jesus, the word says you lift up Jesus, he will call men unto himself. We don't have to do the work. Just live the gospel. Love God, love people. Amen. Okay, so let's pray. But I want you to take a minute before I pray. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, where have you made something the ultimate that is not the ultimate? You've taken something in a gray area that is not definite in the Bible, and you've made it a definite. And by that, you've put it weight on other people. Just repent, give it back to God. Just acknowledge that, God, this wasn't something that you made black and white. This was just, a, it's in a gray area, and this is what I believe, and that's okay. But I made it an absolute. I made it something for someone else that shouldn't be. Just thank you for that gray area. Thank you for my liberty. Forgive me for what I've made of it. Give it back to God.
Father, I thank you for your liberty. Jesus, we glorify tonight because of your, you giving up your liberty. We've received liberty. Thank you that in you we have freedom. More freedom than we can ever imagine because we are loved more than we can ever imagine. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that your love is enough. It's not about us. This life that we cling to, Lord, we give it to you. It's not about us. Your gospel. Give us the wisdom, Lord. Give us the wisdom. You say in Proverbs, we ask for wisdom. You'll give it to us. Father, we pray, give us wisdom. Know when to hold on to our liberty and when to let that go for the sake of the weaker brother. And Father, I want to pray for the weaker brother. If there's any of them here, Father, solidify that foundation in Jesus Christ. Tear them away from what is still keeping their conscience defiled, Lord. Bring them to a full understanding just of you and the gospel and what they've been set free from and how that works and, and what you have for them in the future. Just show them the many blessings, Lord. But in all of this, Father, I pray this one thing. May our liberty be for the sake of the lost. Father, make we make decisions that get lost people to you. And if they join every nation, Father, then we say thank you. But we will rejoice when people come to you. Thank you, Jesus, that your love is enough. Your love is enough. Enough for us, enough for that lost person. So we glorify you tonight, Lord. We glorify you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for just keeping on convicting us of our righteousness, convicting sinners of their sin, just taking us back to the heart of the Father. And thank you, Father, for the creation, that we're part of you, part of your creation, and that you gave your Son and then the Holy Spirit for us. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.